On location, it's episode 155 of the Security Weekly News. Welcome to the week of 3 October 2021. Facebook BGP? Question mark. Disabled Vets, Coinbase, it's Cybersecurity Month, Windows 11, Python Ransomware, question mark, and Fake Plumbuses. All this and Adrian Sanabria on the Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. Oil pipelines, universities, corporations, all paying millions of dollars. Barracuda says... Don't pay the ransom. Before a ransomware attack occurs, train your teams to recognize an attack and use anti-phishing technology. Protect your applications and they can't get onto your network. Simple backup and restore solutions quickly recover your data without paying the ransom. Build your ransomware protection plan now by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. All right. Thanks to the always sexy Aaron uh, Leyland for filling in for me last Friday while I flew out and the crew for sorting out all the issues like the fact that I forgot to tell Aaron how to do anything. Uh, Everybody did a great job as usual without me around. Okay, now I kind of sound like Marvin the robot, uh, who also sounded a lot like Alan Rickman, both in my head for some reason and and when I was reading the book and, and also in the not so great movie version. All right. Okay, so what else could we talk about first besides Facebook? I mean, seriously. I mean, if you're off the grid or in a pit somewhere yesterday, you probably didn't hear about Facebook or that Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Messenger, Oculus VR. I think the drive through at Jack in the Box were all down. Um, I mean, the big down, like all the way down, 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 like, you know, great blues songs, stuff like that. Anyway, Facebook sent out the Zuck signal at 12.16 p.m., and I think maybe that was Eastern time. I'm, I'm not sure. I could be wrong. But, I, you know, was it the Winklevosser, the Joker, something else? I, I'm not sure. Anyway, Twitter went berserk. Wild-eyed prophets came down from the hills predicting the end of the world. Cats and dogs got married. Televangelists blamed frozen yogurt. The Illuminati were coming for your router comps. You know, what an afternoon. <laughs> Sorry, I like that. The thing, you know... <laughs> Um, things thought too long can be no longer thought for beauty dies of beauty worth worthy of worth and ancient lineaments were blotted out. I, I, I got, uh, if you start quoting Yeats, you know, the end is, is near, but I got a lot of calls asking if the, if the end actually was near. Uh, but of course, dear friends, Zuck sued the savage beast. And after six hours, they got things back online and people were able to post pictures of their grandkids petting cats again. Order was restored, the center did hold, and all that. Another Yeats quote. So what the hell happened? Well, you guessed it. We, we don't really know. Um, so far, the conclusion and official statement from the big man himself is that someone pushed a BGP update, and it basically sucked all the routes into a black hole. And, well, if your BGP is down, you have a bit of a problem. I mean, we've all – I don't really do BGP on the outside, but, I mean, you know, we all know what that means if BGP goes down. Uh, so the official answer is that it, you know, BGP is to blame. Uh, the, and if you don't know anything, if you don't know what BGP is, it's the official routing protocol of the internet backbone. So this is what's running 
you know, with the telcos, with all the ISPs and all those kind of people that pushes routes to your stuff. So if that's down, it causes some pretty big problem. Anyway, apparently Facebook was updated. This is what they said, uh, was updating this and that somehow they borked all the routes on the internet, which meant that, you know, there was no route to their servers. And so if you can't get to the servers, you don't get to their DNS, you can't get to pretty much anything else. Uh, and you know, anywhere in the Facebook giant dark server bay of Facebook. So it actually makes sense to me. I mean, I've done it. It was not on a global scale. I didn't, you know, bring the world to a screeching halt because my system went down, but I, I did once push an update and it blocked a bunch of things, including myself. And well, I had to physically drive down to the server room at four in the morning and go in the server room and work on the console to get back online so I could connect again. And that's what they claim happened to them. And, and it does make sense to me. Their internal software, which is called Workplace, apparently runs on the same kind of approach. And since there's no routes to that either, nobody could get into anything. And they said the doors wouldn't even open. So their, their ID cards didn't work. So guess what? Somebody had to literally go down there and get into the server room, I guess, with a good old fashioned key, I guess. Um, roll some stuff back and get back online. That took five, six hours to get going. I mean, honestly, all the wild-eyed conspiracies are really fun. I mean, I enjoyed reading lots of them, but the BGP thing really sort of made a lot of sense to me because it was just something I felt, you know, like I, I've done that. I could see how that could happen, and I could immediately put those pieces together. Now, the interesting thing was seeing just how much of the world runs on the Facebook backbone. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a congressional hearing. Zuck will drink a lot of water and say very little. So uh, if we find out more in the, in the coming days, which we may or may not. Um, we all love veterans and we all like disabled veterans, um, you know, and, and, and try to take care of them. And all those disabled people pretty much gave up a whole lot so that you could post pictures of cats on the Internet. But, you know, I mean... Um, a former medical records tech stole the OSINT for, you guessed it, disabled vets. Uh, and that information was then used to successfully target about 3,300 service members and former service members, dependents of service members, civilians who are working for DOD. Uh, and it was apparently being called by this article a transnational cyber crime uh, syndicate. So that which sounds pretty, pretty serious. Um, basically what happened was they were defrauded out of about 1.5 million in military benefits. And this sounds a lot, it, it sounded a lot to me like some of the uh, social security and wealth scams that have been going on for the last couple of years. I know I got notified that someone had applied for unemployment benefits in the state under my name. And, you know, obviously that I, I had not done that. And so, uh, basically, you know, it sounds a lot more like that. Uh, the insider threat, and that's, that's why I reported this story at all because of the insider threat, was a person named Frederick Brown, who uh, says is a citizen of Las Vegas, and he was sentenced to 12 and a half years for their role in this scam. Uh, basically, what Brown did was he screenshot it. And, and again, the reason I'm reporting this story is because I wanted to point out just how nefarious insider threats could be. Brown basically screenshotted information inside the military health database, which I presume he was doing that from inside the DOD. So he just literally taken his phone and screenshotting. I don't know what their policies are about having phones 
And, you know, but I mean, if this person has access to that, it's really tough to detect that somebody was screenshotting stuff. So he's just pulling up records, screenshotting them. Then he sends it to the Philippines uh, where he's got another person that was also arrested in this. And they use that data that he screenshotted to access the DOD's uh, system and then steal millions of dollars from these people that were screenshotted accounts. Uh, they focused on disabled vets since uh, they obviously have more get more money than than other people because they're injured and you know it kind of sucks but i mean honestly the type of people that target the elderly and disabled vets and whatever well they'll pretty much do whatever and you might as well just assume that they will and i honestly don't really know how to stop this i mean you know you i'm sure there was probably rules about not having uh, communications devices or maybe there weren't and maybe you need some but uh, insider threat is always going to be the biggest vector of them all. Uh, I mean, certainly Facebook's getting blasted, like probably as we speak, there's a hearing going on where you know, Facebook uh, whistleblower is, is talking about stuff, uh, memos and things and it leaked memos and whatnot. It's really tough to do this. And of course, these scams, you know, will do whatever it takes to make money. So keep it simple, scammer, as they used to say at my old scamming school. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So Coinbase continues to struggle with, well, other things, with various things, but this time it's a multi-factor flaw in SMS two-factor. Yep. Isn't it always? I mean, SMS is such a bad choice for multi-factor. Um, SMS two-factor is pretty terrible. And, you know, all the messages are sent in the clear and, and we're slowly seeing people from this by switching to authenticator apps, which are at least something encrypted that's a little better than SMS. Uh, but if there's malware on your device, then you know that malware can grab the incoming text and bypass multi-factor encryption because you've essentially lumped everything together into that one mobile device. And even if you have it, if they have access to your email logins and whatever, they may be able to see things even if they don't have access to your device directly. But in this particular case, uh, they were basically um, phishing people, so nothing new there. And they got their usernames, passwords, phone numbers, and other information that they needed in order to put together uh, this ripoff. And of course, because Coinbase had in the past had some issues, I think a lot of people use multi-factor authentication on Coinbase and they mostly use their phones. Now we all know that there's other types of attacks that can get around this as well, like SIM swapping attacks and things like that. But um, you know, most of this stuff is out there in the dark web uh, and you know, credential stuffing, we could certainly bring that up again. But anyway, Coinbase notified customers affected by this, uh, I think it was, it was maybe last week they notified people and they did make good on the losses. So there was something that came out of it. At least the people who lost all their money in their Coinbase accounts uh, did get covered for this. But the attack basically boils down to, I have your username, I have your password, and so you started using multi-factor to prevent me from doing credential stuffing. Well, how do I beat your two-factor your two authentication? Well, having control of your mobile device and then pushing a login that had multi-factor and capturing the token. Um, it wasn't as simple as just, you know, snapping your fingers and getting it or a straightforward phishing attack. But basically, once they had that token, they could log in and clean you out and they could get the token anytime they tried to reset the password. And we, we've seen this before on other platforms that didn't involve SIM swapping. But it really boiled down to the weakness in the SMS two factor and, you know, our continual friend phishing. 
And I, I just had to sit through an anti-phishing training yesterday. It wasn't terrible. I mean, they actually covered all the points, and usually they, they're really boring. But I think it was like the fourth one I did this year. I got 100 on the test. Yay, me. But obviously, some of you are dragging your heels, slackers. Uh, speaking of which, um, it is Cybersecurity Month uh, in the United States. Uh, I, I never have been sure what these months actually mean. But this one is Cybersecurity Month, uh, as well as Halloween Month. Um, but I did want to take a second to remind you that that this is the perfect season for phishing attacks, and particularly phishing attacks that are related to, wait for it, Cybersecurity Month. Um, I have already seen a couple of emails come in which had phishing attacks embedded in them, uh, you know, that were cyber training links that were saying, you know, in honor of Cybersecurity Month, uh, please complete your cybersecurity training. Now, the, the training I did, which I, I don't think was a phishing attack. If it was, it was a very good one. Um, but, the, you know, they, they try to use this to target people. And because, you know, in the interest of cybersecurity awareness, go to this link to see the latest attack against your company in action. And guess what? People are saying, oh, cybersecurity month. And they click, they click the link. So I, I'm sure you've been sending out cybersecurity month materials to all your peeps, but you might want to remind them to remember to continue to be cynical and paranoid uh, because even when they get nice little things, you know, nice little reminders like that and so forth, those things may also be tainted and they're perfect vectors for phishing attacks. So be vigilant. Um, Windows 11 is available. And you can upgrade if you meet a laundry list of security and hardware requirements. It does require a dual-core 64-bit processor, 4 gigs of RAM, and 64 gigs on the disk, which doesn't sound like a lot to me, but some people, I guess, you know, some laptops and things. Uh, but here's the stuff that's interesting about this. Uh, they are now going to require UEFI Secure Boot to be turned on and that the trusted platform module version 2.0. So this is two different firmware controls that restrict uh, the ability of things to do UEFI exploits and the trusted platform module, you know, restricts operations to certain parts of the CPU. Uh, very, very interesting maneuver by Microsoft because tr the tradition, I think, has been you want to make sure things run on as many different platforms as possible, but this is a move in the more secure direction. So saying, if you don't have at least these basic components, which would allow this type of security, we're not going to let you install this operating system. So maybe it's a move in the right direction. I mean, this is really the first time Microsoft has required any sort of security to feature to be enabled by default on the system. And the big, the big M says that they are trying to be more security oriented. So, you know, the Microsoft Security Signals report indicated, this is something they do every year, I guess, that more than 80% of the vice president and above people that were, that were contacted and report have had some sort of hardware-based attack. So, I mean, you know, you start talking about these firmware attacks, specter meltdown attacks, and all this kind of stuff. And then, of course, we've, we've had multiple reports over UEFI-type attacks and UEFI inputs and whatever. So didn't really say in the article uh, what they're trying to achieve or what sort of attacks these people were having, but it does seem to be that they're more focused in Windows 11 on requiring security than heavy in, in the past. Obviously, to me anyway, it is early days for Windows 11, and it's still, to me, a little too soon to see if it's a Windows XP or a Windows ME, you know, in terms of is it widely adopted or is it widely shunned and panned. I usually wait for a while so they can iron out the initial bugs and then set up a couple of virtuals to see what it looks like. 
didn't say how that was being handled in virtual uh, machines, but I would presume since you can emulate all those firmware things, you could probably emulate that in the virtual machine. Uh, it's been pretty low key so far. I haven't seen a lot of like articles or anything about it, so I'm guessing they haven't started marketing it heavily. Um, but um, I haven't heard any horror stories either, so I haven't started seeing people moan and, and groan about uh, Windows 11, so who knows? An unknown ransomware gang is using a Python script to encrypt virtual machines on VMware ESXi. And that sounds dramatic. And I think that was the headline purpose because I went, what? Uh, you know, Python's not really a ransomware uh, tool. I mean, not that you can't. It's just not what they typically use for ransomware. And you can do anything you want with Python. But somebody figured out a way to use it. And, you know, what can't you do with Python? So now before you panic and start deleting Python, don't do that. Um, if you read the article, you know, I mean, I was immediately like, oh, is there a flaw in Python? Nah. Uh, the people had to breach the network. And they did that over a weekend, so you know, typical stuff. And they basically used a TeamViewer account with a domain admin that was logged into that account. So okay, well, you know, nothing new there. Um, then they moved laterally using an advanced IP, using advanced IP scanner, and then they used <laughs> SSH. So they used SSH to log into the ESXi shell with the credentials I guess they got off of TeamViewer. And, um, you know, I mean, if you can do all that, it's like, what's the, why is Python even relevant? They could have done anything they wanted. But the article says that, you know, the SSH shell was accidentally left on, but that's really common, right? I mean, you know, you should be using a management VLAN, but everybody has those SSH shells turned on. Uh, anyway, a six kilobyte uh, Python script was then run, which encrypted all the virtual disks, oops, and the VM settings file. So basically the whole VM is shut down. And there's not really anything dramatic here. And then the fact that they use Python, which is a very useful tool that can do most anything if you have the privilege to do it, there was really nothing Python involved. It was just using Python because why not? I mean, you could have used you know anything, but Python uh, apparently would run there and that makes sense. Um, so, you know, the point I'm gonna make is that hypervisors mean you put all your eggs in a very large basket which seems like it should have some kind of name, like Gleech or something. You know, like a Gleech is a large basket of eggs. You know, an egg basket, yeah, I guess. Anyway, backing up your hypervisor, all those virtual disks is a real challenge. And keeping those backups secure is critical. So if they're mirrors, well, that just mirrors the encrypted files, so you have double ransomware. The other day, somebody asked me, they said, RAID 5 should be sufficient to protect me from ransomware, right? Right. <laughs> and I, I literally just walked away laughing and I sold all my shares of stock in the company right right then. I was like, no, I'm out. I was like, oh, please. Anyway, um, next up, uh, Jason is, is off doing some Jason stuff. Uh, Adrian is going to join us. Um, Adrian, if you don't know him, is a master of classical painting. His famous painting, Cow Pissing Like an Exploded Fire Hydrant, and a couple of dead guys with their guts hanging out are hanging in the pompadour. While his titles may not be the best, his paintings are well, well, they're actually not that great either, but we love them anyway. It's Adrian Sanabria. Hi, Adrian. Hey, yeah, I've got some of them right here. You can you can <laughs> view some of my art. Uh, it's uh, I've got NFTs up for sale for, for some of it. There you um, go. Go buy my NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a bidding war. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, I forgot that you did those intros. Uh, I forgot to brace for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So you're like, wait, am I on this show? <laughs> Caught me by surprise. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, yeah, I want to talk about some of the stuff that uh, you know you you've you went through with the news a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, and actually a couple of these things here, I'd be interested to get your take on. Uh, actually, going to jump around a little bit. I, I think the one thing that that really jumped out at me about Windows 11 that I didn't know uh, before today was a requirement for a TPM. And yeah. I think the uh, the average person, uh, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they have no idea if there's a TPM in their computer or not, <laughs> and they're not going yeah, they're to know. Yeah, it I did assume say Microsoft that it checks all that stuff, so there's like a checker to yeah. see if you're you're compatible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine, it, and uh, if you're not, um, here's a Surface Book. Here's a good deal on <laughs> on, a, on a new <laughs> Surface Book or uh, you know Microsoft. Uh, they they sell hardware now, so. Hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh, I also don't think most folks know that all Chromebooks come with TPMs. That that's been a requirement of the uh, Chrome OS, uh, you know, since the since the very beginning. And and those things are all uh, encrypted by default. So it, it's a natural move, I think, to require a TPM. Uh, but one of the first things I googled was, you know, can I add a TPM to a laptop? Can I buy like a USB TPM? Because the only way I've ever seen a TPM implemented uh, is directly onto the motherboard, you know, Summer, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and designed into the design of the motherboard, you know, paired with the chipset. You know, I uh, I don't know a ton about it, but yeah, curious your input on that. If, if it's basically impossible to add a TPM to a system that doesn't already have it. Well, I'm not going to say not seen that done. I mean, my my impression was that that's a that's always a firmware component. I mean, I presume that if it's firmware, there's some way to add it, but it might not be something that's viable for you know people to actually do, especially on laptops and things. I have seen desktop computers that have a place on the motherboard for a TPM that didn't come with yeah. it, where you could buy the TPM yep. and add it. You know, but the majority of people now. You know, I mean, you can't even replace the RAM. You know, they're using laptops, and most everything is soldered in. Yeah. So, um, you know, two things here. I, I think there's going to be a ton of people still using Windows 10 long after they they kill it. Either that or I did too. I don't know. Win- Windows 12 I, comes out. I completely out agree. And, and they wait to I make mean, the jump from 10 to those- 12. I think those restrictions that they've added are going to be, you know, they're going to mean that a lot of people won't upgrade to Windows 11 because if they tell you, I mean, this this happened with OS 2, right? So a long, long time ago, IBM introduced OS 2, and basically a lot of people said, I'm going to try this. And when they got it, including me, I, we found out that the hardware requirements were so severe that it was just, you know, I'm like, well, yeah, I, I could do this, but I can't afford to do it or I can't possibly do it without replacing a whole bunch of stuff. So I think it could definitely have an impact. Yeah. And, and $500 computers were not a thing back then. <laughs> yeah. The cheapest you could get away with like building your own computer was like two grand. So yeah. Well, yeah, and it, it required ECC RAM, and it uh, it was that was oh, the wow. first time I ever had anything that required ECC RAM that was like mine, and I was like, I can't afford this because I, you know, I, I I got out my copy of Computer Shopper and checked what ECC RAM cost, and I was like, yeah, I'm not buying that. Thanks. I'll just delete this. Have a nice day. <laughs> it's still significantly more expensive, uh, I think. ECC. Well, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was uh, another thing that was interesting in that story is this survey. Microsoft has this annual security signals report, which found that more than 80% of vice presidents and above report they've experienced a hardware attack in the last two years. I, I find that surprising. Um, <laughs> but like if you're getting hit with an evil maid attack, how do you even know that it's happening? Like the whole nature of the attack is, you know, you're, you're not there when the maid is in the room. So I don't know, you know, were there like marks on the casing, you know, where they pried it open with a screwdriver. I, I don't know. Well, yeah, I, and then, it didn't say, you know, the report didn't say what that meant. You know, I didn't know what the interpretation of that because I thought, yeah, more sophisticated attacks, they wouldn't even know what that was. And I, if it's an evil made attack or something like that, I, I, yeah, I mean, how would you know? Is there scratch marks on a USB or on? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I, I don't know what they really asked, but that the article didn't say, and I didn't have a copy of that report. And, and then the other stat you know, that struck me as odd was 29% of budgets are allocated to prevent firmware attacks. And I, I, I don't think I've heard of hardly any budgets uh, before very recently. Like there's companies like Eclipsium now that, um, that protect firmware. So I, I, I don't know how they calculated that or even what budget they're talking about. If that's security budget, IT budget, um, you know, is antivirus, you know, protecting <laughs> firmware? It, it, like, how do you get to 29%? I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I, I've never seen 29% of anyone's budget devoted to, from anywhere, devoted to hardware. So I don't really know where they yeah. got that number. Yeah. I mean, obviously they got it from somewhere, but I don't really, I, it's probably all about what they ask and how it was interpreted by the people that were uh, answering would be my guess based on my instrument to design experience. Yeah, I think somebody's using their um, <laughs> shaking their magic eight ball uh, to come up with uh, mm -hmm. uh, stats for that report, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, Facebook. Um, that, uh, you know, I think that was a really interesting one. And while it was really fun to go on Twitter and, and to see every digital marketing manager having fun. No, Twitter sent out that tweet that said, hi, everybody. <laughs> hi, hi, basically everyone and every brand, uh, you know, with, with a digital marketing manager sitting behind a keyboard, had fun with that one and, and replied to Twitter. And, and there's some there, there's some fun stuff. There's the uh, Oscar Mayer replied and Twitter asked them if they could borrow the keys to the hot dog truck, to the wiener truck. <laughs> A lot of fun stuff, but, you know, at the same time, yeah, I, I mean, Facebook itself, like the main Facebook, you know, I, I generally spend as little time on as possible. But the reason I haven't been able to delete my account is I'm just tied into so many other things there. Like the the animal rescue I used to volunteer with, that's how we coordinated everything was with Facebook messenger groups and and, um, and, and Facebook groups. And, uh, you know, if we needed to go out, you know, if there was uh, law enforcement called them up and needed them to, uh, you know, round up 20 horses, you know, that they they found abused or something like that. All that happened through Facebook. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting just in general how Facebook has kind of become the AOL of the modern age, where mm -hmm. if you 
if I tell my parents to text me, they're going to use Facebook Messenger. You know, they're not going to distinguish that from a Verizon SMS message, uh, a telco SMS message. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, you know, Facebook is the Internet for them. That's how they communicate with people. And uh, that's even how they log into things. You can use just like you can use Google to, to log into applications. A lot of people use uh, Facebook as single sign on to log into a lot of sites. So, you know, funny, yes, but uh, but also a lot of people just uh, with no way to communicate, realizing I don't actually know this person's email address or phone number. Like, this is the only way I have to communicate with this person until WhatsApp is back up. I have no way to get in touch with them. Yeah, I think it was a lot like uh, one of the real, like during Hurricane Sandy, I had uh, a friend who, who lives in uh, in New York City, and he said that the police came to their neighborhood saying, go to this website to get information on how to evacuate. And, you know, he said they jumped on and go to this website, and the website is down, and they didn't know what to do. And I, I think that these kind of companies are getting, you know, because of the single sign-on and cross-platform stuff, the companies are really starting to just be, uh, have their tendrils and, and everything. And, and I, like you said, I know a lot of people, including the Facebook people that were relying on that. And when the technology was out, they couldn't log in or get through a door uh, because their IDs didn't work. And, and you're seeing that more and more. I mean, whether it's Google or Facebook or, or something else. So it's definitely an, an interesting thing. And I, I even I felt like I didn't really realize that so much of this was based on Facebook. And I, I kind of did. But then I was like, wow, like WhatsApp and all this stuff. And, but, you know, then you're seeing Workplace and all these other tools that are based on Facebook. And it, it's kind of a very interesting story and uh, interesting occurrence. And I, I think it's a huge reason why chaos engineering and site reliability engineering are, are huge fields now. You know, is that you, you've got all yeah. this interconnected stuff and, and the whole point, uh, you know, or at least a big point of those fields is to discover this kind of, you know, huge uh, cascading failures before they occur. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not going to be that long before, you know, your alarm systems and your doorbell and everything else is being controlled by, you know, some kind of cascading system like that. And when that happens, if that system goes down or even just DNS goes down and all of a sudden your doorbell won't ring and you can't unlock your front door with your phone like you've been doing all your life, you won't really know how to use a key. And, you know, that'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I know a bunch of people have gotten rid of Nest devices because, you know, there were outages and they realized there was no offline functionality. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if well, the yeah, internet was like your old thermostat, you could just flip it on. You know, if it didn't work, the you could just turn it to on. But yeah, Nest doesn't do that, and so if it's out, you're just out. It was a big deal with uh, with video games too. Like there are a lot of a lot of people people pushing back. I, th I think the big one was uh, there was a big SimCity game release, and it, it was one of the first times that like a big AAA game you couldn't play at all unless you were online. Even though uh, yeah. it wasn't really something where you would use online services, you know, I think, you know, the the yeah, idea is they, yeah. they have that with a lot of games. I I, I remember that SimCity that was Electronic Arts, and it was like the first iteration where yeah, you you couldn't even if you were just playing by yourself, which most people did, there was no online component of the game. You couldn't log into the game, and like on opening day, all these people had paid for it. And it's like, oh yeah, our servers are down. Sorry, you can't play. And yeah, people deleted that. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely I, I would love to see people put more offline support into stuff. Um, 
you know, well, there should be some account. offline mode, I think, for yeah. a lot of things. If it, it, it should be like that, but but you know, the world is starting to get interconnected. I mean, look at what we're doing here today. <laughs> it's a little right, complicated. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're not in the studio. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, thank you, Adrian. Uh, I appreciate you filling in while others were not here. Um, and finally, have you noticed if, if you're looking for a plumbus and, and you get like 900 different ads for things that look like plumbuses, but they're all these weird company names that you've never heard of. I mean, seriously, just try Amazon for any old thing. And, and it's weird. Most of the stuff that comes up seems to come out of either Facebook ads or something that you click on, like a picture. But even when you search Amazon, you'll see this now. And if you want to see a new Nimble or, or, or something else that looks interesting, it pretty much happens on every site you go to now and for every product. A dozen different sellers that have the same picture of the same product, but you may notice a lot of variance in the prices. So I was looking for this thing the other day, which is called a Viking arm. And it's it's not porn. I know you want it to be porn, but it's not, I guess it could be porn, but it's not porn. It's like this thing that you lift like amp cabinets that are really heavy or refrigerators or whatever, and, and you can do it by yourself. So you know, it's kind of sort of product Viking arm. Okay. It could be porn. It's not porn, but anyway, I saw products that were $200. So the, and I actually traced this back to the original that makes this product and their product was like $198. But I also saw ones that were $19, same picture. And I was like, huh. <laughs> well, so I started applying my New York, my New York street knowledge to it, or maybe it's Hong Kong street, not like temple street knowledge. And I remember that if you go inside Saks Fifth Avenue and you want to buy, say, a Gucci purse, because I do that a lot, uh, and, and the purse costs $5,000, and then you go outside on the sidewalk and there's a guy selling it for $50 or $500 or $5, depending on who they're yelling at, and you know whatever they think you can spend. I mean, I was in Vietnam and I bought a piece of DKNY luggage because I needed a piece of luggage. I didn't care if it was some designer thing. And I knew it was fake and I paid three bucks for it. I, I looked it up later to see it was like, you know, it was like $2,500 if you bought this same piece of luggage, you know, at a, a, a reputable vendor. It said DKNY on it, of course. And, and the guy swore it was the real thing. But after I bought it, I said, you know, I just needed to survive one flight so I can take these books I got back home. What do you think? And he just sort of shrugged and walked away. It, it didn't survive the flight. It was like torn to pieces. But, you know. The, the, now, these sites don't tend to break any rules, and they don't seem to be doing pirating. Uh, but what they're doing is attracting you to their, their cheap product uh, with the picture of the real product. And somehow this is all getting tied together through these merchants. Um, and what you typically get is nowhere near what you thought you were getting. So they don't, they don't have charges filed because, it, you know, they say, hey, we sold you exactly what we said. It's the, you know, whatever. So... Unlike the fake luggage, these aren't fakes. They're just not the originals. It's just the picture that tries to lure you there. And it's apparently one of a, a massive industry that's growing around marketing this stuff. And it's making shopping online rather tedious since, you know, even if you just want to buy, you know, some very simple product, you really have to dig through, try to figure out which products are real, which ones are fake, which ones are links to other product. And I think they win even if you don't buy the product on the picture and you come to their site and you go, I'm not buying that. That looks that's a totally different thing. But oh, look at that. That looks pretty cool over there. Um, you know, so you have to kind of be careful. And if you do return it, well, maybe Amazon will get angry. 
So the, I, I had this once and I bought something. I was like, this isn't what I wanted. And I sent it back to Amazon. I took all the trouble to bundle it back up and I sent it back to Amazon. Mark, this is not what it appeared to be. And, and you know, and Amazon gets angry. And when Amazon gets angry, people get eaten. So be careful out there. Thanks, Adrian. And thanks for joining us today on Security Weekly News on location. Please get your shots, really. And I'll see you on Friday with the Security Weekly News wrap up.